Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Well, welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. Uh, this week, my guest is David Dodge. Uh, David, <clears throat> just give uh, the listeners a bit of an intro to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Glenn, thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I've been investing in real estate, Glenn, for about 18 years. Uh, I'm 37 years old. So I started when I was like 19 or 20. And um, I have been full time for almost eight. Uh, so essentially, the first 10 years, Glenn, that I was investing, I was buying rentals very passively, uh, had other businesses, jobs, so on, and so forth. And I was just buying rental properties. But Glenn, I did it wrong the first 10 years. And the reason I say that is because what I was doing was I was going to the MLS and I was you know, finding a local agent and I was paying full retail, which meant that I had to bring to the table 20% and then I would go get a bank loan for the, you know, for the difference 80%. And I was buying properties that were roughly about $150,000 in value. So yep. as you know, you can go and you can get an 80% loan and $150,000 property. That's, that's a $120,000 loan, but you need to bring 30 grand to the table in order to get into these deals. And over the first 10 years of, you know, my passive investing career, I was doing about one a year. In fact, after 10 years, I believe I had about 12 properties. And, you know, in hindsight, that was pretty good considering that I had to put money down to get into these properties and these projects. But now, you know, after going full time and been doing this for seven, eight years full time, I refuse to buy properties retail. I only buy properties discounted. Typically, they are direct to seller type of a situation where we'll do some marketing direct to seller. We'll find properties that need work and we'll buy them at discounts. So over the last seven, eight years, Glenn, I've done, you know, about 700 wholesales. And I've actually done close to 200 Burr deals. So Burr is really my passion. And now what we do, Glenn, is we buy properties at discounts um, and we do the Burr method. Yep. So the Burr method is very simple. We buy, we rehab, we rent out, and then we refinance. And then the best part is, is that it's very scalable. So we repeat. So the Burr is really just an acronym, Glenn. Uh, but that's my passion. That's what I love doing. That's awesome. So um, Burr method, a lot of times the, the perk is that you can reuse the same cash. So do you still use your own cash or do you start bringing in cash or how do you scale this? You know, up? that is a fabulous question, Glenn. I try not to use any of my own money and there's multiple reasons for that. The main reason though is if I use my own money, when I go to the bank and I want to do a refinance, if some, if, if some of that money, even if it's just a small amount, is coming back to me, the banks like to consider that as a cash-out refi. And when right. you do a cash-out refi, they're going to typically not lend as much as they would be willing to if it's just a straight-up refi. So whenever I'm borrowing money from my private and my hard money lenders, I like to borrow 100% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab cost. And oftentimes maybe even an additional five or 10 or 15 grand. That way, once I buy it and I rehab it and I get it rented and I go to the bank and I say, hey, I already own this property. I'm not asking for a new loan. I'm asking for you to refinance an existing loan. 
they say, okay, no problem. You know, what's the payoff? How much do you owe on that? And assuming that I'm all into these properties, Glenn, for at or below 80%, yep. and the bank's willing to offer me an 80% loan, I can pay back that you know private or hard money lender in full plus the interest and be all into that property for $0 out of pocket. The goal is actually when we're doing the Burr method is zero. You don't want to have any of your own money in it ideally. So that is a fabulous question. So um, I already know the answer, but taxes, you could do, you want to pull this out doing cash out refis. Uh, how's that look for your taxes? Yeah. So the taxes are great because every property we own that's rented, we depreciate. So we yep. have a bunch of phantom depreciation or phantom expenses uh, that offset our income, reducing the taxes that we have to pay. Um, and then additionally, if we are going to do a refinance and we pull equity out. So there's some scenarios where, you know, we'll do the Burr method on a, on a property. We just did one recently on a commercial building and uh, we pulled out 50,000 above and beyond what we owed our private lender to buy it and to rehab it. So that $50,000 that we pulled out wasn't profit. It wasn't even really income, it's debt. So there's zero tax obligation or liability on any excess money that we're able to make or pull out once we refi. Fabulous question. So when you do these refis, you're gonna strip out all of the original money that was put into this to get back to yourself tax-free. Um, but it's also gonna increase what uh, a loan payment would be, which would decrease your cash flow. Is there, um, you have any tricks to scaling this? Because I know a lot of people are going to find that uh, you know it's not a huge amount of money, depending on what how much the purchase price is and what kind of rents you're going to get. Um, like if you wanted to like leave your job on this, you're, like a lot of times you do the math, you're like, man, I'm going to need like thirty of these or forty of these to pull this off. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and it really depends on you know what your freedom number is. If you're if you're you know what's the minimum amount that you need to live on, right? So in my case, it's probably about five thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, if I do a thirty year fixed loan on my refinance, which we can do now, you know, it used yep. to be difficult to do a thirty year loan in an in an entity in a business, but you know, recently, about six eight months ago, there's actually quite a few lenders out there that will do 30 year fixed rates to your LLC, to your business. And you know, if I need 5,000 a month to be able to you know, cover my minimal cost of living and I can do a 30 year loan, which generates about $500 a month, I only need 10 of these properties. So you're not wrong. You know, if I'm only making 200 or 250, well then I'm gonna need you know, 20 or maybe 30 of them. But we like to try to increase the amount of cash flow as much as we can and one way to do that is to get a 30-year loan versus a 15 or 20-year loan when i started investing in the us i did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that glensutherland.com coaching a 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over zoom from the comfort of your own home classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions Shortcut the process, make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at glensutherland.com slash coaching. Okay, and does this strategy, does it work everywhere? Does it work um, in certain markets? Like, could you do this 
Um, I know you get in different price points and it changes things. Like do these, do the burrs work everywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So the burrs will work everywhere and they can work in any other country. As far as I know, yeah. the main thing that you have to keep in mind is that you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. So if you're buying properties at full retail and they need some work, it's very difficult to increase the value of a property by 20% just on rehabbing it alone. So as long as you're able to buy a property at a discount and you're able to add a little bit more value, hopefully from rehabbing yeah. it or updating it or renovating it, those are all the same thing essentially. Um, the goal here is, is to be all into the property at 80% of what it appraises for. So here's the cool part. When we're doing the Burr method, we're not walking into a local bank or local credit union, or more recently, we're working with some of the bigger national you know, players as well. But when we're, when we're reaching out to these, you know, these lenders on the back end here, we're not asking for a loan to buy. We've already purchased the property. Right. And ideally we're using private money or hard money to do so. So when we go to these lenders, we're not asking to, you know, get a loan to buy. We're asking to get a loan to refinance an existing lender. And when you do a refinance, they're going to say, okay, well, we'll lend you 80% of what it appraises for. Well, if they're only lending 80% of your cost, no matter what that number is, Glenn, you're going to be leaving money in that deal. Right. Yeah. So the goal when we're doing Burr is to borrow money and use leverage to buy. We're going to use leverage to get it fixed by using general contractors or subcontractors. I love using leverage when it comes to the renting and the property management side of things because somebody else can do that leasing and management for me. And then last but not least, I'm going to use leverage with the refinance on the back end but I'm going to make sure that whenever I go to these local banks or credit unions and I ask for a refinance, that they're going to lend me on what this property appraises for. So if you can be all in at, let's say, 80% of what it appraises for, and they give you an 80% loan, you can pay back your private or hard money lender and acquire the asset with no money out of pocket. However, if you go to a bank or local credit union and they say, we'll give you 80% of your cost, Again, no matter what that number is, Glenn, you're going to leave money in it. So we're always looking to get our loans based upon an appraised amount. And some banks will have certain criteria that you have to hit or, or be at in order to get a loan based on the appraisal. Love that. Great question. So I, I caught a, a really important thing you said there. You make your money when you buy, right? Um, and you saying before when you're doing your intro the 700 wholesale deals right mm -hmm. so i'm i love stacking strategies together Me too. uh I, i'm i'm gonna bet you're doing a strategy of stacking these these two businesses together because they do go so close together yeah so we have a simple little motto that we like to say in our office and it's it's uh keep the best and wholesale the rest it's so simple it rhymes it's <laughs> such a great strategy to go with so no matter what, we're not paying retail. Right. In fact, last year, my partner and I, we bought 162 properties and three of those properties were on the MLS. And the only reason that we bought those three is because the agents that had those listings contacted us and said, hey, our seller is motivated. 
make an offer, any offer, they're not looking to get this full retail amount. So we're typically going off market, direct to seller, and we're trying to get properties at a minimum, minimum of the 20% discount, ideally 30 to 50% discounts. Now, if we get a property under contract at a discount and it is a good fix and flip or a good rental that we can use the Burr method on, we keep it. But if it's too far away or it needs too much work or it's too small or too big or not the best neighborhood or any other reason that, we're, that we have you know, doubt on keeping it, we wholesale it. So yes, indeed, we love stacking these strategies. Wholesaling is a great place to start because it teaches people how to do so much. It teaches you how to market, how to negotiate, how to use contracts, how to get properties under contract, how to build rapport, you know, and how to find deals. So that's typically, you know, that's really, I started with rentals, but I kind of did it wrong. I, I yep. mentioned that. And then I jumped into wholesaling. I did that full time for like three years and yep. it was great, made a lot of money doing it. But the problem with wholesaling, Glenn, is I'm sure you're aware but you know, once you do a deal, you're starting at the at the at the beginning again. You're you're on this what I like to refer to as a transaction treadmill, and by owning rental properties, you get paid every month. You get passive income. It reduces your taxes. And if I decide that I want to go on a vacation for two or three weeks, my business doesn't fall apart because I'm not there to you know talk to sellers and do these wholesale deals. So wholesales are a great way to get in and market and find the deals. But then we like to cherry pick these deals and add them to the portfolio. And then again, using the Burr method is, is the passion because I don't have to leave 15, 20, some cases 30 or $40,000 in a property. You know, I can borrow that money to get into it and then go through the, the, the simple strategy and be all in at zero at the end of the day. So you mentioned the transaction treadmill and whenever that pops in my head, I think about flipping as well, right? Yeah, so similar. Yeah. And it, it's a transition. You have, just have to keep doing them for the rest of your life or you're going to run into money, right? Because a burst strategy actually get a, a cash flow off of. Um, I, I know you're interested in Burr uh, and I'm guessing uh, there's some, probably some reasons you don't do flipping, right? Is, is there, so is there we, a reason you don't do flipping? So we do do some fix and flips, Glenn, but not many. You know, I usually will have one or two going at any given time just because they're fun and it's nice to get a big pop. It's nice to get 40, 50, 60,000 when you do a fix and flip, right? Because in, in my local market out of St. Louis, Missouri, you know, the average wholesale deal we do is typically gonna be between seven and 12 grand. So it's gonna roughly be nine or 10,000 bucks. Hey, that's not bad. But if I'm spending money on marketing and I have an office and I have a transaction coordinator and a acquisitions person, you know, a lot of those a lot of that profit's gonna be eaten up by just overhead and, and by the business, right? So um, essentially all the marketing that we do is directed towards our buy box. How do we acquire more rentals? That's what creates financial freedom. That's what creates passive income. But when we stumble off of a cool property that doesn't need a ton of work or it's close by or maybe just a fun one, then we decide to flip it from there. And then wholesaling is typically the last resort for us. Yeah. But, you know, the wholesaling is such a great strategy because there's zero risk in wholesaling, right? I can put a property under contract and if I can find a partner, you know, an investor that wants to buy that from me, great. We'll sign it or we'll double close and we'll get paid. But if we don't, then we can either exit that contract or we can renegotiate and get ourselves more time or ideally more time and 
a lower price? This question may be off base because I know you're not like your basis isn't doing flipping, but um, with with my flipping business that I have right now, because I, I do multiple strategies, but one of the biggest pains I have is dealing with these FHA inspections, right? And, I, and it's one of those topics I have not really talked about on the show at all. Um, it is it is the most painful thing in the world. And it, it's actually, I think, just as bad as a Section 8 inspection. Um, what, what's your experience with that? <laughs> yeah, so Glenn, I agree. I mean, here's the deal. Um, the majority of, of you know, people that, that we're selling to don't have 20% down. So you have to sometimes take an offer that is an FHA offer, which is, you know, up to three and a half percent down for the buyer. But you're absolutely right. In order for the government to come in and, and, and back that, that lender, that borrower, um, the FHA is going to require inspections and they're not very easy to just say, oh, we'll just credit the seller two or three grand. They're like, no, we want you to fix those items. And it does create some inconveniences. Uh, but at the end of the day, when we're doing a rehab on a property, we're trying to fix all the main items anyway. So yes, it does create you know some inconveniences, but at the end of the day, it's typically not that big of a deal to, to get around those inspections. The thing I don't like about it is you have to pay for those inspections and then you have to pay for those repairs typically. Um, so again, some inconveniences, but uh, you just got to work around them, you know? <laughs> have you had any ridiculous requests? I've had some recent ones that were just like, we need the air conditioner replaced on a, on a working air conditioner. Have you, have you had crazy stuff like that before? Yeah, and we've had, and you know, sometimes we'll, we'll argue them and they'll, they'll back off. Other times they won't. And, you know, sometimes if it's something that is just completely crazy, we'll go back to the seller and we'll say, listen, we don't think this is necessary, but your lender does. So you either need to pay out of your pocket to fix these items or we will, but we're going to increase the price of the home to where we're able to get that back. And if they don't mm -hmm. like it, then we say, okay, well, we're sorry, but this isn't going to work for you. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask. If you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. And uh, jumping back a bit, because we were, we kind of I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there when oh, you heard yeah, no the, problem, the flipping no thing. But um, marketing for these things, like when you're doing this, uh, the wholesaling, <clears throat> I hear wholesalers doing lots of different strategies. Sometimes they got to go direct to property managers. Sometimes they're like buying list source lists and doing mailers. There's the bandit signs. Uh, what what's your flavor? What 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 do you guys yeah, that like? That is a fabulous question. So we 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 do a lot of different things. So we have two cold callers that you know, call uh, six days a week. We have um, a virtual assistant that also does some cold texting. We do a, a some direct mail from time to time. Sometimes we'll, we'll get, put some radio ads up for a couple months. Uh, we like to drive for dollars to create our own lists locally. Sometimes we'll buy lists from, like you said, ListSource or Batch or PropStream or some of these other providers. And we're targeting, you know, off-market properties with high equity, um, that the owner has owned for, you know, sometimes 10, 15 years, you know, death, divorce, disease typically make for a motivated seller. So, you know, here's the thing. We do a lot of different types of marketing and we kind of, you know, shift in and out depending on what's working at the current time. But at the end of the day, all real estate investors do, in my opinion, when they're buying a property is they exchange convenience for a discount. That's it, right? 
And you and and I mentioned it earlier, and you repeated me. You make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. So we're looking to buy deals, aka discounted properties. And the best way for us to do that is to find sellers that are either distressed themselves or own a distressed property, and then come in and offer them convenience. And in exchange, Glenn, for that convenience, we demand. We don't ask. We demand a discount. So I'm sure you're having people listening right now that say, well, Dave, that sounds great and all, but like, what does the convenience look like? Guys, 80%, right? You guys have heard of the 80-20 principle, right? 80% of the convenience falls into three simple categories. Number one, cash. We're not going to have a bunch of financing contingencies like like Glenn just mentioned with FHA. No, we're going to offer to buy properties cash, right? Number two, we are going to buy these properties as is. So if it's distressed, we're not going to make them paint or clean or repair. And oftentimes I tell the seller, hey, you can take what you want and leave everything else behind. And it may be five dumpsters worth worth of nonsense, but I'm going to buy these properties as is. So number one is cash. Number two is as is. And number three is a relative term, but it's quick. We're going to be able to execute and purchase these properties quick. So when we say quick, we're really saying, you know, two, three, maybe four weeks. But again, it's a relative term because if they were to go, you know, to the traditional way of selling a property with an agent or a broker and have it listed on the MLS, it may take two or three or four months, right? So it's relative. So the convenience is really simple. It's we're cash buyers. We buy as is and we close fast. And those three things are going to make up about 80%. Now the other 20% could be infinite number of things. It could be that they need help moving or they don't have money for a moving truck or whatever. And we come in and we say, okay, we're demanding a discount, but if you're willing to pay us, or if you're willing to sell us at a discount, we will provide as much convenience as we possibly can. Love it. And they're also not, get, they're getting away with not having to pay a realtor, right? The, and they're getting away with not having to pay a realtor. They're not having to fix the property up. Yep. They're not having to have embarrassing photos online. If the property doesn't look that great, yep. uh, they avoid showings. They avoid all of that stuff, right? So convenience is the name of the game. And in exchange for that convenience, we don't ask, we demand a discount. Yep. Yep. You got to. Yeah, you, you can be straight up with them. You just, I, I need this. I need a discount. I'm an investor. Yeah, I'm not interested in paying you 100K for your property that has his estimate of 100K. I'll give you 65,000 for it, right? Call yourself and a realtor. Say, well, you know, that, that sounds good. Then I'm going to open up those floodgates of convenience. Hey, when do you want to close? Don't worry about fixing it. I'm going to pay cash, right? Those are all conveniences. And there may be even more things that they need or want out of me in order to give me that number. But if they say, no, I won't sell it for less than 90, well, good luck. Maybe we'll follow up with you in four to six months. And if things changed, here's our number. We'll be ready to work with you, but but we need to be near that 60 or $65,000 number in that, you know, in that example. Yeah, and the money's in the follow-up because whenever no one else will buy for 90,000 either. you nailed it, Glenn. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna emphasize that. The money is in the follow-up. And over the last seven or eight years, we've kept track on the amount of time that it takes from a lead to come in, or maybe it's us 
first contacting a seller to the time in which we're able to get the deal done. And Greg, what we've found is the average deal we do takes four to six months. Doesn't mean that we can't do some marketing and get a deal right away. That happens too, right? But the average deal, six or seven out of 10, it's gonna take four to six months because we have to continuously follow up with these sellers, make friends, build rapport, and eventually we can't convince them to be motivated. That's the thing. And it took me a while to learn that, Glenn. But what we can do is we can be there to help them once they decide they're motivated. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yep. Awesome. And um, last sort of thing I'm going to go down, and it's not really directly related to this, but <clears throat> David is, uh, he's located in Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. um, I haven't had anyone on the show from Missouri in about two years, I think. Okay. That's my last Missouri guest. And so uh, I, I don't know, the, the, the podcast keeps growing. So we haven't done a lot of Missouri talk at all. Sure, um, sure. You're doing uh, burrs. So you're dealing with tenants. Is this a place do you want to do? You know, what's the tenancy law I like? Is this a place you actually want to have tenants? Yeah, yeah. So the tenancy law in Missouri is, you know, very equal to protect both the tenant and the landlord. It's not very cited one way or the other. You know, we like to be very fair with our tenants. We like to be very transparent with them and let them know what we expect out of them and also what they can expect out of us. And if a tenant doesn't pay, you know, typically we can get them out within about 45 days, maybe a little longer, but it doesn't take multiple, multiple months. The yeah. cost to do an eviction here is about 300 bucks. Um, so, you know, but again, our goal isn't ever to force people out. Our goal is, is to help them any way we can, you know, if needed to pay the rent. And, and this is a business. You have to understand that, you know, some landlords will get into, into the business and they run their business like a charity and we still have underlying debt and mortgages. So we have to run it like a business. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not cited to either party in, in, in this state, which is great. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it is very fair. Um, you can, uh, you can do your evictions, you can get them done. And I do work with tenants as well to try it in. Um, I'd rather figure out a payment plan to get them going than an eviction. Um, tenant turnover is one of my, you know, it's, biggest expense well one of yeah, the and, one, and the best way to do avoid it is just to screen in the beginning and right. a lot of people don't so you know if somebody's got something on their record and, and and they look like a good person and it's not super recent we'll work with them you know by all means but if they got evicted two weeks ago you better but you bet your butt we're not gonna have them be a tenant right so we're screening we're looking into these things we're doing a credit check we're doing a background check we're we're calling resources or you know previous landlords and digging a little bit and just making sure that the that the person that we're bringing in is you know not going to screw us over love it david before i let you go let's uh let's talk about you your business what you guys offer and yeah, let me, let me know a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, I've been I've been doing this 18 years full time for eight. You know, we have about 90 units in our portfolio. 60 of those are single family homes. And then we have an additional 30 units that are in small apartment complexes. Our portfolio spits off about $20,000 a month in passive income. That's cash flow. Yep. So I'm continuously looking to buy more properties and use the Burr method to acquire more with little to none of my own money. Oh, and by the way, of the 90 units that we have, 
the average amount that we have in each one is less than $1,200. So we're acquiring assets, rental properties, for you know about 1200 bucks on average the goal is zero dollars out of pocket but occasionally you may have to leave two or three grand in a property but leaving two or three grand in the property is not a big deal at all glenn recapture in a couple months <laughs> the first 10 years that i did it right don't do yeah. like dave did for 10 years do like dave does now and glenn of course does now right yeah so yeah that's basically the business we do tons of wholesaling we love buying rentals and at this point in my in my career, I love helping, teaching, providing value. That's that's why I'm here on this show with you today. And I do offer coaching. So if anybody's interested to learn more about how you could work with me or how you can learn the Burr method and get guidance and coaching from me personally, uh, we have a simple website you can go check out to learn more. And that site is wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals. Again, wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals. You can learn more about our program. And Glenn, if, if somebody wants to book a call and talk to some one of my team members to learn more, we love setting up those book of calls so we can help, you know, teach and and essentially, you know, give you more information about the program. Love it. And I do love that you mentioned that it's with you in person because there's uh if I was paying for a course, I'd want to talk to the person, not just go through a bunch of Yeah, material. yeah, so I have a team, but I do the coaching because I yeah. like it, I'm passionate about yeah. it, right? So I let my students, uh, you know, communicate with my team as needed, but I'm the main person, I'm the coach, I, I love it. And there's nothing better than helping somebody buy their first rental or their 10th or 20th or 30th. And really the name of the game isn't necessarily to get people to just buy rentals, the name of the game is to get people to create financial freedom. And that's what rental properties do. And if you don't have the best credit or a ton of capital, the Burr method is the vehicle that we use to acquire these rental properties, these assets with very little, and in most cases, or in some cases, none of your own money. It's a fabulous strategy. And I absolutely love it, Glenn. Love it. I love this interview. It was, uh, um, I, there's been lots of talk about Burr on the show, but it was, it was explained very, very well. Like it's, I think that it really came across well. I really appreciate that, David. Glenn, um, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm super grateful for this opportunity to be here and to provide value to your audience. And uh, man, I just, I really appreciate you and all the things that you're doing for your community. So again, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it.